Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. The Tokyo Olympics are just about over. We are recording this at quarter past 3 p.m. on Sunday, August 8th, Beijing time. So still a couple of medals to be handed out, but uh, those aren't going to change China's totals. Those aren't going to change the U.S. totals, I don't think. So let's set the stage, Mark. Uh, Where were we coming into the last day of the Olympics? Well, before we start, I think... As soon as we've done this, I think I'm going to take a long lie down in a cold, dark room. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it's been, I mean, the, the Olympics is always intense, put it that way. Um, I mean, I've worked like a, a, as a journalist at three and it's just absolutely nonstop. Um, this was kind of more of a, a of an outside, you know, fan observer. Um, but it, there's just so much going on and I love it. Um, <laughs> but, but it is. Yeah. Before we get into it, like how many hours of your day? Uh, <laughs> we're spent watching I don't TV. Know. I don't know. Well, you try and multitask. Try. Try is, try is the word there. I mean, the last few days in particular, though, with, with the battle at the top between the U.S. and China has just been incredible. I mean, China jumped into a big lead, as we knew they would, because, uh, it, as we you know we discussed before, the, the, the schedule is front-loaded with sports that China does well at, and then you've got track and field and other things that the U.S. dominates towards the, the back end of the Olympics. Uh, but China got a big lead, and about... Four days ago, for the first time, I really thought that China might be able to hold on. And, um, you know, there's, there's various reasons for that. We can get into it as we, as we go on in the show. But, but then China was, coming, uh, China was holding on and the U.S. wasn't coming back as strongly. And then yesterday, so on Saturday, the U.S. won five goals, which is a solid return. China only got two. So the gap coming into the final day was two goals. China was leading 38 to 36, but it only needed a tie to win because it was always going to win on the second place finishes, which is silver medals at the top of the table. Um, now, there were a number of chances for the U.S., but none of them were, 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 were certain. Uh, U.S. basketball was probably as good as they were going to get. They did win that. Women's volleyball, you might think, you know, the U.S., pretty good. They're going to win that. But actually, they were, uh, they've never won Olympic gold. And Brazil, their opponents won in both 2008 and 2012. So the Brazilians would definitely have fancied their chances in that. As it happened, the U.S. did win that. And then it kind of went down to some, some uh, boxing fights as well. Meanwhile, we had this, uh, this female cyclist from the States, Jennifer Valenti, who no one was expecting to win in the Omnium, which is one of the craziest sports in the Olympics. 
I mean, I, I was watching it. I honestly had very little idea what was going on. The commentators had very little idea what was going oh, really? on. Oh, that's because funny, you're yeah. constantly winning points uh, each lap, and people are picking up points, and there's four different stages. And so it's very hard to keep a running total of who's actually in the lead at any one time. Uh, but the Japanese contender uh, crashed out late on, so uh, Valenti won gold, and no one was expecting that. Anyway, long story short, the U.S. Uh, came out on top by 39 to 38. Now, that was actually one more than they needed because, as I said, they would have won in the event of a tie on golds, but it went right down to the wire. Incredibly exciting. Yeah, so Li Qian, who's a boxer, she had a chance to win the 39th medal for China. She, she settled for silver, but in the end, it wouldn't have mattered in terms of the final medal count. That's right. There were three boxers, actually. Two Americans in gold medal fights, but they were massive underdogs. Li Qian actually had a pretty decent chance, but not, none of those three boxers, uh, either from the US or from China, were able to get gold. So it, it didn't affect the total count. But hi, I found it really interesting, the fact that the one gold, the, the gold medal that actually gave the overall medals tally to the Americans was women's volleyball. And of course, this was the, the, the one that, that China had won in Rio four years ago. They were desperate to repeat. They didn't even get into the elimination stages because they've had a pretty disastrous uh, performance in the group. But this is probably the one gold medal that China wanted more than any other. They won 38 gold, but not this one. And it was the same gold medal that actually gave the the, the clinching overall Olympics to to their rivals, to the Americans. A much closer, much closer medal count than we expected. I think I, I would imagine the U.S. team must be relieved. And I don't know. Do you, do you think? Do you think China should be disappointed that they didn't quite uh, finish out on top this time? It's a good question. I mean, I think China has done fantastically well. They actually were third behind uh, Great Britain in Rio. So to come back wow. from that in a four-year cycle is unbelievable. Uh, the U.S. perhaps underperformed, but, um, you know, China d definitely did very, very well. I think China should be very happy. I, I mean, the sports minister ahead of time was saying, you know, we want to be right at the top. But th that's usually just a kind of a rallying call beforehand, you know, like kind of like Jio and stuff like, like, you know, come on, China, let's do the best we can. I don't think anyone seriously expected, even within China, uh, for China to, to, to win out on top of the gold medal count. Of course, as the days go on and you're calibrating the chances for each individual uh, sport and, and, and uh, athlete, as we've been doing, then perhaps that calculation changes. But I think one of the big reasons was, was COVID, and that just provided, uh, it just caused a lot of uncertainty in terms of who were the dominant athletes in the sports coming into Tokyo? No one really knew. The Chinese in many sports, in fact, hadn't, hadn't competed in many international competitions. And so Grace Note Sports, which is kind of, you know, one of the big stats guys who, who do the predictions, they had sort of uh, written out a caveat and said, look, there's a huge amount of unpredictability, particularly around Chinese athletes, because we just don't know where they are in their training. Um, and that was the case in qualifying. We didn't know how some of the swimmers who were going to qualify uh, you, you know, and, and, and so on. So that's one of the reasons I think why it's turned into such a, an exciting but unpredictable battle. Mark, last week we talked about Su Bing Tian. Last week he came in sixth place in the 100-meter finals. What's happened with him this week? Well, he's been given the honor of, of carrying the flag uh, at the closing ceremony this evening, uh, and that's a huge honor, bearing in mind that China uh, has, well, got 38 golds and he uh, didn't even win a medal. Uh, that's a that's pretty significant, and that shows you 
quite how much his performance has been celebrated in China. Uh, I, to, to my mind, that, that sort of says he's been held in, in higher regard than all the gold medalists. Now, okay, he finished sixth in the final, but his 9.83 second run in the semifinal was, it was genuinely jaw-dropping. Um, and he was the first uh, Asian athlete in the men's 100-meter final. So he was, he was groundbreaking. It's, it's probably the biggest event uh, in, in the whole Winter Olympics, in the whole Olympic calendar, of course. Um, and so or, to or do even, that, or, even, or even the Summer Olympics. Sorry, yeah, getting my getting my Olympics confused there. Uh, but, but basically, it's the biggest event in the whole Olympic calendar. Uh, and you know, he he kind of performed. Unfortunately, he couldn't do it in the final. We talked about that already. But uh, people have been celebrating uh, relentlessly and on social media and, and on on state television as well. So he's been given, which is a pretty big honor in China, to to um, carry the flag at the closing ceremony tonight. Could you imagine if he'd won a medal? Like any medal, I think his his face would be on every single subway stop in in the city for sure. I mean, you just I mean, see him all over the place. What China needs now is for the next generation to come through because I don't see Su Bingtian still being at the top, the highest level in in even in Tokyo, uh, even in Paris three years from now, just because he's into his thirties. But because he's such a high pro- high profile athlete and because his performance has been celebrated, you just want that to to kick on. The, the next generation of, uh, of of sprinters so that someone else can pick up the mantle when we get to, to, to Paris and to LA. But that's what success at the Olympics does, doesn't it? I mean, it, this is what it does. It inspires a younger generation. They, they, they're watching it on television. Yeah, I, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of things I'd say. Uh, firstly, we've been, certainly my time in China, we've been hearing about this, this pivoting away from an obsession with gold. Um, and actually, it it sort of feels like we're coming full circle a little bit because gold has been celebrated. They've been in this neck and neck race with the U.S. down to the wire. Um, and with the comments from the sports minister uh, ahead of the Olympics, basically saying, you know, we want to we want to finish on top, even if, as, as I said, even if that wasn't necessarily uh, believable at the time, it feels, you know, that gold has kind of come back to, to prominence. And, and without without trying to you know, be too, too deep and meaningful and draw some massive geopolitical conclusions, you know, that does sort of fit in with, with China's rising status uh, as a global power. It's, it's absolutely the two biggest superpowers, um, the two o- only superpowers really in the world going neck and neck at it, right down to the, to the wire into the Olympics. This is going to continue uh, through the next Olympics as well. You can be sure of that. Did you see that New York Times story about India and how you know, this is a country of 1.3 billion people, but they've only won something like 20 Olympic medals in the history of the Olympics, of, of the Summer Games? It was, right. it was wild. It was absolutely wild that, that this, this massive country could just not have, have, you know, just not have any kind of success in the Olympics. Whereas with China, they've made this concerted effort. Um, it's obviously very important to, to, to China to be successful here. One thing that I've noticed that's been a difference as well, I mean, China has all the resources in the world and, you know, it, it, can, it can assign as much funding as it wants to its Olympic program in the way that other countries just simply wouldn't be able to do the way that they're set up for governance and so on. Um, and so in some ways, you just say, well, China should be dominating. They've got all the money. They've got the most people. You know, money can, can basically buy success. And, and to a large extent, it can. What China hasn't necessarily been able to do is, is put in a, a proper long-term plan that it's been able to stick to. And I think we've been beginning to see some differences there. You look at track. We talked about Su Bing Tian. They've had an American coach, Randy Huntington, training with them for the last, I believe, seven or eight, maybe even eight years 
uh, and he has kind of overhauled their program. And, and there's been um, stories in Chinese media about how Su Bing Tian and, and the other sprinters are now much smarter about how they train, about how they eat, about all the different parts that go into uh, into becoming a world class sprinter. It's not just, of course, just, just running down the track. You know, go quicker. Uh, <laughs> yeah. so, so you know, but but it does take time. Um, and so often, you know, the Chinese authorities have wanted immediate success. And if it hasn't happened, well, the coach must be wrong or the system must be wrong. So let's rip it all up and start again. Um, you know, I'm not saying this is this is an American success for, for China's track. But, you know, it's no it's no accident that some of the foreign coaches where they've been in place for a while in China have have had the chance to to actually make some real progress. Winning gold medals is not something that China has just decided to do for these Olympics. They've had these projects in place time and time again, but it didn't work in, in, in Rio. Um, it was almost disastrously uh, unsuccessful, and London wasn't great. Uh, obviously, Beijing, home advantage, was pretty successful. So, um, you know, this is a, this is a project. They're, they have called Project 119. They've, they've targeted uh, all these, these sports where they haven't necessarily had much success in the past, uh, and put resources behind it, and they think these are winnable goals uh, at the Olympics. Now it's starting to kind of have some effect. So I would expect Paris to be very, very close at the top again. But, I mean, you can't count out the Americans. They're still going to be dominant. They're still going to be uh, right up there as well. One thing, though, is like where, where China was really dominant in this Olympic Games was in weightlifting. Now, there might yeah. be some massive changes uh, in the, you know, coming up in the next Olympic Games that are going to affect China particularly, it might actually not even be in the next Olympic Games. So so here's my understanding of things, Mark. So a few days ago, the New York Times reported that the IOC wants weightlifting to clean up its act. Um, and if they don't, they're essentially going to get kicked out of the Games. So behind the scenes, there were delegates from the US, Germany, and China that, that tried to get the International Weightlifting Federation to, to introduce real drug testing um, and, and basically just be more transparent. The article implied that the IWF said no, and that brings us to today. So, so what happened today? Well, there was a there was a, a meeting of the IOC, um, a session in Tokyo, and in very simple terms, they made it easier to kick sports out of the Olympics without putting it to a huge big vote. This is a problem that has been going on with uh, the international governance in weightlifting for years. They've constantly been telling them to clean up their act or they'll kick them out. And, of course, the the, uh, the IWF, the International Weightlifting Federation, basically just wasn't taking it seriously. And so this now looks like <laughs> they're take it seriously it, now. it's either their very yeah. final chance yeah. or, or they've already passed their final chance. But yeah, as you said, China was one of the one of the countries trying to push them to clean it up. But China's going to be the one who is is absolutely devastated should weightlifting be removed because they won seven of the ten gold medals in the sport. They they only had athletes entered in eight of the ten categories, and they won t- t- uh, seven golds and one silver medal. I mean, athletes were talking about if there's a Chinese entered in weightlifting, like the rest of us are going for silver. That's how dominant China has been. They've always been pretty good, but they took it to a next le- uh, the, the, the the next level in, in Tokyo. What was reported today was that what they would con- what the IOC would consider was that in Paris it wouldn't be um, it wouldn't be an event in Paris it might be reinstituted at the, at the uh, following games in Brisbane, I guess. Um, so L- LA uh, LA's twenty eight oh, and then Brisbane is thirty two. You know, I'm a little confused because we have okay, so we have Brisbane and thirty two, but we don't have a venue set for twenty thirty yet, do we? For the Winter Games, correct. Uh, That's the Winter Games. Yeah, yeah. yeah. the the whole bidding cycle has uh, has has changed quite a lot 
in uh, over the last few years. There's a certain amount of, of uh, give and take in terms of sports. You know, some sports come into the Olympics, uh, some sports get kicked out. So there's, there's always a bit of a, a process going on and constant lobbying from the international federations, of course, as well. Because if, if your sport is not in the Olympics, the, the lack of visibility there is, is, uh, is well, it's, it's pretty um, drastic for the sport. Baseball and softball were introduced in this games, but I don't think they'll be at the next ones. Um, karate was was in the Olympics this year. I don't think they're going to be in the next ones either. So you know, yeah, they all, they there's always uh, a little bit of uh, playing to the host crowd as well. I mean, we had we had baseball in 2008 in Beijing, and then it uh, it went out again, and then came back for this, uh, and that was one of the, the the big ones yesterday because it was U.S. against Japan, and of course it was a big hope for the. Uh, for the U.S. In, in that final medal tally, but they weren't able to get it. Didn't even score a run, in fact. And it was just, it was probably one of the, you know, baseball is such a popular sport in Japan. They go so crazy for it. And, of course, to have no fans to see the Japan men's team beat the U.S. on home soil in the Olympics, it was it was tough. But, you know, other than that, I think the Olympics has been, has been fantastic. It really has been, but it's, it has been tough to watch particularly some of those Japanese performances in front of uh, empty stands. Tokyo Olympics are over. Beijing is in six months. We've talked about this a lot. That There was a new poll today uh, from Axios. Uh, trouble ahead for the Beijing Olympics. Now, they did a poll, and they found that nearly half of Americans say China shouldn't be allowed to host the Winter Games in 2022 because of its record on human rights abuses. Does it matter, Mark? Um, well, the next the next section in the poll is why it matters, and my I would just scrap that entire paragraph and say it doesn't matter at all because what Americans think, frankly, uh, is not really going to affect um, what actually happens. The the Winter Olympics are, are, are happening no matter what in in Beijing, you know, in less than six months from now. I uh, I think it's inc- incredibly unlikely that there will be athletic boycotts in in. In other words, that, that countries don't send their athletes. Yes, there's going to be a huge amount of noise, and that's going to increase basically from today, from tomorrow. Uh, as soon as the uh, the Olympic torch of, of Tokyo is extinguished, you know, people are going to start talking again, as they have been already this year, about about all the the issues and, and putting pressure on the sponsors and on the countries and so on uh, when it comes to the Beijing Games for next year. Um, I guess how it is important is just in terms of the sentiment around the world. And how geopolitics is kind of affecting everything, really. Um, yeah, so 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 it's significant that 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 sentiment is is growing in that direction. But but things change. You know, we saw with with polls ahead of Tokyo, did the Japanese want the uh, want the games or not? It seemed to, there was a huge amount of local opposition to the games in Japan. I'd be very interested to see how the Japanese people received it now that we finished, whether they think it was a success or whether they just can't wait to, to, to see the back of them. And and whether we can learn from what happened in Japan. And I mean, I think we'll, it won't be clear for another you know few weeks or even months. This is kind of the way I see things from a COVID perspective. I think Beijing and everyone else, uh, you know, the Beijing Organizing Committee had no idea how things were going to go in Tokyo. Um, really, none of us did. And so that's why we had so many unanswered questions ahead of the, the, the Beijing Olympics. I think you have to say that the Tokyo Games were incredibly successful from a COVID perspective. And so that means that inevitably they're going to take that blueprint and make small tweaks, but they're not going to take the Tokyo blueprint and completely rip it up and start with a blank piece of paper. So that's a great thing. Um, 
Does that mean we're not going to have any spectators because that's what Tokyo did and it was successful? Well, I'm still hoping that, uh, you know, some of us at least <laughs> can, can go and watch some Olympics. But hey, if we have to watch it on TV, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not the end of the world. Um, I think that's probably the biggest outstanding question at, at a high level, whether they're going to be spectators of any of any degree. Can I read one paragraph of something that I just that was just published in the National Post, which is the which is a Canadian uh, newspaper sure. from a columnist? He says um, the world early word from China is that they will take no chances with Beijing 2022. Reports, I'm not sure what reports he's referring to. Reports suggest that China will enact harsh measures to ensure visitors are not carrying COVID-19, such as extended quarantines and vaccination requirements. That might even include taking the Chinese-made vaccine. Such limits on entry would have the bonus from the perspective of the ruling party of keeping a bunch of nosy Parker foreign journalists out of the country. Kind of a win-win for them. Now, this is a this is me talking again. That's that's a columnist for a, a, a well-known conservative newspaper in Canada. I don't know where they're getting that from. I, I haven't heard anything at all about vaccination requirements. Uh, yeah, that's that, as far as I'm concerned, yeah. that's 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 total nonsense. Yeah, I, I mean, think he's just making that. Up. I, that um, sounds really there's weird. There's no way yeah. that China China can't require people to have vaccines. Number one, they certainly can't require them to have Chinese made vaccines. That's just, you know, that that's what a bizarre. <laughs> what a, what a, I mean, I'm sorry, what? this is really bizarre. I just don't know. Like, he does not cite anything here. I don't. Well, here's here's the thing. Here's the thing, Hike. I mean, people are going to be writing this all over the world, um, and over the next six months, you know, in the States, we just heard about the sentiment from, from there. There's going to be much worse written about, you know, what the Chinese government is and isn't going to do. That's going to be confusing. I think there's going to be a lot of misinformation. Right now, we just don't know what's going to happen. I think we have a reasonable idea of how things might work. It's going to be, like we said, based on how Tokyo ran it uh, with some small tweaks. Uh, but it will depend, of course, on right now the, the local small outbreak that, that's currently in China. Is that going to get under control within within a few weeks? Um, is it going to persist a little bit longer? So we don't know about the the latest COVID situation. That is has always been the number one priority at the top level here, uh, the health and safety. And so it's going to be tricky. But um, the Olympics are definitely be, uh, definitely happening. I'm confident of that. Uh, and so, but beyond beyond that, well, still some still some questions. That is all for this week's episode. Let us know what you think. You can find us on Twitter. Mark is at D-R-E-Y-E-R China. That's Dryer China. And I'm at Haig Balian, H-A-I-G-B-A-L-I-A-N. We'll be back very soon with more China Sports Insider Podcast.